Yo, what's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Nathan. Uh, today, I got a super bomb podcast for you guys, man. My boy, Louis Damani Jones, joined me. He's just an absolute rock star. We had an awesome conversation. We always have great convos. And so um, we he shared just a ton of good stuff with us. He's got a master in social work from Washington University with a focus in clinical social work. He's got a bachelor of social work from Southern Illinois University, um, Edwardsville. And he's uh, an engaged democracy fellow at the Gephardt Institute for Civic and Community Engagement. And um, he's a research assistant at the Center for Social Development, specializing in financial capability and asset building. He spent two years working for the Catholic Campaign for Human Development for the Archdiocese of St. Louis and the Diocese of Belleville, Illinois. He currently sits on the board of directors for Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of St. Louis on the Mission Integration and Advocacy Committee. Uh, he's just a baller dude, man. He's the 2020 Cardinal Bernardine uh, New Leadership Award from the USCCB. He's got a serious passion for speaking um, and just has crushed it, man. He is awesome. He's got a crazy conversion story, which he shares out the gate. Um, and then we just kind of dive into some serious stuff about Catholic social teaching and, uh, you know, talk a little bit of politics, talk a little bit of social stuff. We talk a little bit about faith stuff, talk a little bit about marriage. We cover it all today. So I hope you check it out. Go follow my man. He's doing some great stuff. Um, and uh, I just hope you really, really enjoy. You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom, to go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ, to be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You are not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What is going on, my dude? It's so good to have you with me today, man. I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to be here, truly. It's a gift. I think, you know, you're one of the coolest Catholic dudes that I know. Uh, you know, coming, <laughs> coming across you, I feel like Whoa. you're that guy. You're that guy. It's so fun. Like, I just get random emails about stuff or I see things on Facebook. I'm just like, there's Lewis again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. <laughs> my man's getting in the war. My man's doing this. My man's doing that. And it's awesome. It's awesome to see everything that you're doing, man. And you're recently married. We were just catching up about marriage and how awesome that is. Very recent, very recent. So June 12th, and I'm not going to say when this is recording, but very soon after. So we, I'm recently married. <laughs> and uh, and so, yeah, I'm walking in those graces, loving it every moment. It's amazing, man. Yeah, I always I like to think that you, when I we talked about setting this up, I'm like, you're the most busy person I think that I know. 
Wow. Again, <laughs> I think, hit, I'm hitting me with the heart. I think you're the busiest person that I know. Legit. I always think that you're like me if I had kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, like yeah. you, if I had kids and an extra job, that's how busy I feel like you are. You know, like, I yeah. like I'm tired. That's actually a great way to think of it. I mean, because I'm sure, again, so many people are busy. But again, when you add in family, you add in uh, other things, like it is, you know, it's a lot. And so, well taken, well taken. <laughs> yes, I have a lot of respect for what you do, man. But first, it would be awesome just to hear a bit about your background. I know I loved hearing your story, even though I know you don't like sharing your story. Yeah, you were gracious yeah. enough to do that with me the first time that we talked together. Yeah. So I'd love for you to share with some of our listeners just your background, who you are, how you got here. Well, uh, um, my story, I think, and to open up, like I think when people talk about their story, especially connecting to their relationship with Christ, it's um, it's really difficult to do because... I was talking to someone earlier about this and the encounter with Christ is like this, like diamond. It's like this multifaceted moment. And when you first experience kind of this encounter and are drawn into it, you're kind of in a particular place, a particular moment in your particular history, as well as a social history that's like around you, a collective history. And so like when Christ enters into that moment, it has like a unique experience and meaning then, then like two years later, it has a unique experience and meaning then, then it has another unique. Right, yeah, it's so always like, evolving. And so it's like I, every time I tell my story, I feel like different things are in there, different things are out, and also depending on how long you have, uh, because different <laughs> things become more significant at different times. But I feel like you could give a riveting two-hour testimony. Yeah, <laughs> let's not do that. Uh, I'll keep it keep it brief. But like you know, so I grew up in a in a in a family which uh, had people who were baptized Catholic. Some practiced to different degrees. Uh, I was raised primarily by a single mother, but my dad also, my biological father, um, also had been baptized in his childhood Catholic. Um, my dad, my mom, and my godmother actually uh, founded this place in New York called Stand Up Harlem in Manhattan. I was born um, kind of affiliated with that site. And it was kind of um, somehow connected to Catholic spirituality. A priest, Father David Kirk, had kind of like helped them to to come together. My dad has uh, has AIDS, HIV AIDS. And so it was a house for folks with uh, with uh, living with HIV AIDS. And so like this, this kind of was like the spiritual genesis, I'll say of like my particular family story. And I find my it's relevant for my own particular life, because my family has been one of like social action uh, for prime, like my whole existence. Yeah. And that kind of was tied up in what I understood as my own particular spirituality. So even when I didn't really have what we call a spirituality. So eventually my mom moved from New York City. I was born in Manhattan. Um, my mom moved from New York City and I grew up in the Midwest. And again, like my mom went to mass and like, again, tried her best, but I didn't ever receive like, you know, catechesis or like a deep mm -hmm. theological formation. Actually, I think like the most significant the theology I ever got was gospel music, like Kirk Franklin. Like, like that's probably the most deep theolo theological conversation I've ever had. Like, uh, I don't want to do wrong by all the people who have raised me. They're like, wow, that's how you feel about it. Uh, I think my <laughs> godmother may have tried the, the most. <laughs> um, and I think one of the things that stands out from her is she used to always, she used to highly respect Mother Teresa. She had a bunch of Mother Teresa mm. uh, things around. But um, but she, she actually was the one who introduced me to uh, Eastern spirituality, like, Buddha and uh, and if I read the book Siddhartha, which was really impactful for me as a child, the Bhagavad Gita and all these things that she introduced me to. So even the catechesis on Catholicism was a little bit lacking, but love her still. Um, <laughs> so that was kind of like my my kind of growing up in terms of like my spiritual sense. And as I got older in high school, I just kind of did what like a lot of people did. I played football in high school. I was completely not 
uh, thinking about my faith at all, although I always believed in God, um, didn't really ever have a deep, again, any type of real mooring. And one of the really foundational aspects of that was kind of a detachment of like believing in God from any type of moral conviction. Like I had, like it was completely detached. Like there was no connection between, yeah, I believe in God. And now I have a corresponding ethical commandment or ethical reason, you know, to, to live that out in any particular way. So I lived a life of complete dissolution. I mean, I was a guy who was really like, you know, I was a person who went to parties. Um, I did not good things. Um, horrible things in terms of, you know, just substance abuse and all types of things. Um, and, and actually, you know, by the end of my high school time frame, I actually, for the first time, entered into a real serious relationship. And even though there was a lot of problems surrounding that, uh, and eventually right after high school, I became a father. So I actually had my daughter Mila, uh, right after high school. And again, was living in, de- in desolation. I really had no, I was kind of like, Again, and, and for some folks who may be listening to this who are in high school, uh, or not in high school, but had lived a life in high school, I was kind of like that dude who was like, you know, I played sports, but I was kind of like, I feel like for people who are like, my, I talked to my uh, my now wife about this. She was like, I never would have hung out with you in high school, and she because she like, grew up as, like the good, like the good, Catholic, me and Emily. Yeah. The, the good Catholic like family like family person like her yeah. mom like, her family went to like. Uh, pray in front of in front of clinics and things of that nature whilst my mom had me go and volunteer at Planned Parenthood I was I volunteered at Planned Parenthood all throughout my high school so like just a whole different experience from many respects um yeah and so but but in terms of family like that was a transformational moment for me personally I think that was the seeds of like of of something different my daughter has uh down syndrome uh and also you know is on the autism spectrum and has an intellectual disability so it was really impactful the first few years of her life. She was um, in the hospital and I really struggled with fatherhood and like what fatherhood meant. And that's kind of where I feel like the, like the real existential crisis of like, who am I? Like, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, what is my vision of myself really entered in? Um, but still again, like was that all those questions had no tie to, to a moral or ethical commitment, yeah. many problems, um, you know, just a short, almost like nearly two years later, um, well, more than two years later, my son was born. Um, so I have two children, my, my daughter, Mila and my son, Elijah. And at that moment, I feel like God entered into my space in a real concrete way. Uh, I experienced a deep conversion. Um, and I'm not going to go into the details. This is already pretty long, but, um, you know, basically, uh, ended up you know, at, during this whole time too, I'm doing activist work, community work, all types of wild stuff that we may get into later. Um, <laughs> I hope so. But, <laughs> But essentially, uh, ended up joining the Coptic Orthodox Church, me and my whole family. My kids were baptized in the Coptic Orthodox Church. Folks who don't know what that is, that's uh, Egyptian Orthodox, basically. They're an Oriental Orthodox Church uh, connected with the Ethiopian, the uh, Armenian, and the Syrian, Syriac Orthodox. Um, And, like, spent years, like, you know, I had a priest there. I came in rough, rough, let me say, tell you, came in rough. When I, the first time I walked into that Coptic Orthodox Church, the priest like was walking around with what's called the Shoria, which is like an incense burner. And uh, he looked at me. He's like, are you Ethiopian? He literally stopped in the middle of the liturgy and asked because they have no visitors. Nobody just shows up right. at an Arabic speaking, <laughs> Greek speaking, Coptic yeah. Orthodox or Coptic speaking like liturgy and is not like connected to them in some way. So the only other like black people that ever come there are like Ethiopians. He's like, are you Ethiopian? Uh, I think he was asking to see if I could take communion. I was not Ethiopian. 
Um, and so then basically, you know, I came back more times and then eventually he was like, we should probably talk. Like, so after the, so he went after, <laughs> and then, and then he became like my spiritual father, um, baptizing my kids, like was my, my first, uh, we call it confession father in, in the Egyptian tradition. Took me to my first monastery, um, like just led me through, led me in the early church fathers, a prayer life. Um, they have like a whole different ordination system in that. So like, I was a reader in their uh, in their in their service, so I prayed liturgy with him, just me and him often. Uh, like sometimes during the week, we would just pray liturgies together, like divine liturgies, and they're like a little bit longer than the uh, Latin mass, or like or the Novus Ordo masses. So like we're like entering into this like deeply spiritual. So I had like a sacramental conversion. So I had like my encounter with Christ through the Bible, then I had the sacramental conversion, and eventually yeah. I came back into the Catholic faith. <laughs> um, actually, and I'll, this will be the end of the, the Catholic. We can maybe go, but. Um, basically, uh, you know, I had been in this Bible study and I was doing a Bible study with this Ethiopian deacon and basically like this one time, one of the women from the, the Egyptian church came up to us and we were doing this Bible study and they were like, Hey, can I go take like uh, communion at my, uh, at, at this wedding? So you're going to a Catholic wedding. We're like, Oh, I know you can't go. Like you can't take communion. They're like schismatics and like heretics. You can't like do that. It's like, we were going in like, and I, and that kind of, that, there was that moment I felt like kind of a little bit convicted and I was like reading in the early church and stuff like that. But I was like, I need to learn more. I need to really go through like Catholicism and like why it's like problematic and why I'm saying this, although I believe it from like Orthodox theology. So I started like reading right. summaries of the church councils, started really going deep in terms of, you know, just like what, what really is Catholicism. And as I was, especially after I read the first early councils, which is where the Egyptian Orthodox disagree with the Eastern Orthodox and the Catholics. I was like, I believe this. And it was really like, when I tell you like an existential crisis of like, Oh yeah. I can't imagine. Like, and, and like, I had been like, this is like my spiritual home. Like this is the place that like nurtured me. My family. Yeah. So like, I was like really struggling with it for a You're while. And that's, I went, went deeper. I thought about becoming Eastern Orthodox because it was like, that's closer. Like Catholicism just seemed like too much. <laughs> um, and so eventually though, I had to sit down and I told them like, I just had like a deep conviction. Like I even thought, could I stay here and just like believe in my heart, like Catholicism and then just like pray the same. <laughs> and I couldn't do it. Like, so then I sat down with this group of like, uh, they call them the taunts. They're like, their aunts, like like the women of the, the church and like the priest was there. And I was like, I'm going to become Catholic. And they're like, no, like they're like freaking out. Like, like, like baby, not to uh ended up doing it um and then actually i had just my my spiritual father priest had just got transferred so like the new priest uh who i love much respect to him was like is it because of me is it because of me it's like it was like a lot it was like an intense thing it was great anyways love that man love him anyways um so yeah it was big and so i came back to the catholic church and catholic church welcomed me with open arms but it was it was such a hard transition um because like being in a tight-knit spiritual community like they are fasting all the time. Like the laity prays like the, the liturgy of the hours all the time. It's called the Agbeya, the hours in uh, in Coptic language. So it was like a whole different spiritual like wow, environment. Yeah. And it was really difficult for me to like come into that. So that was a big transition in heart. But back in the Catholic faith, love it. Been many years now. So loving it every step of the way. That's so great. <laughs> the abridged version. <laughs> yeah, for real. And it is too. And the whole version is crazy. We'll do another one sometime and we'll just deep dive into all that stuff. Makes it's it's a lot, but love hearing that, man. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Um, <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> I appreciate all your disclaimers. So it's not offend people. I've been there for sure. I know that that's <laughs> important to do. 
but one of my first questions before we go into the social stuff, man, is this is something that I podcasted about, written about somewhat extensively, is, you know, you, you've gone into two different Orthodox faiths now. And like, especially, I'm especially interested in the Catholic Church, but maybe you experienced it in both. But like, what has been your experience? You, you talk about everything so freely, right? And I think that I do, I like to do that as well with my own life and mistakes, ups, downs, you know, things I did well, things I did poorly, right? And I think it's very valuable. It's, it's one of our tenets for seeking excellence. You know, it's something that we've had people who want to write blogs for us or whatever. And I'm just like, this has to be more transparent. We don't do the like cloud level once everything was nice. Like we like to talk about it all, you know? But like, how did you deal with like, what was like the judgment? Did you have any crazy experiences? You had to have something, you know, you're showing up back to the Catholic faith. You got two kids. You're a black dude. I don't know if you went to a black parish right away, but like, what was, no, no, I, never I talk a lot about my, you know, me just showing up sometimes being the only black dude in the crowd. I got a tattoo sleeve. I often wear polos to mass. You know what I mean? Like I've gotten some looks and get some things, you know? So like, and even sometimes friends or people that, you know, I worked in ministry with and stuff like that. So like, what was your experience with just like being judged and how'd you, how'd you handle that? Oh, like, I mean, it, I truly believe that God granted me that feeling to give me a sense of humility and recognition of what he's done in my life. I think about the story of like Jacob, when Jacob wrestled with the angel and he was left with like a limp. Right. Yeah. So like, I feel like it was always something that was, it's always in my mind. I mean, it's always there in the world. It's nothing like people don't really, I mean, some people would oh, like yeah. have some statement, but like, it's not big thing in my personal family. It's not even that really big. It's not unusual. My dad has two kids also. He, he's not married and has never been married and will not be married. Um, and so it was, it's, it's different. And, but in the, when I really, it was worse when it was harder, I would say, when I came into the Egyptian community, because really? they're very deep, like they're, they are immigrant faith mostly. So many are from Egypt. So for them, it was like, it was a big difference, but they welcomed me. And that gave me like the first, like the spiritual father I had, the first priest that I had as my kind of confession father was the most like loving guy ever. I've ever met till this day. Like there's no one who has like a heart and Egyptian priests are married. So he also had like a family. Mm-hmm. And he would welcome my family. Oh, like, so it was just like, he had this sense of like inviting me into like this way of seeing fatherhood in a new way that really was transformative to healing and gave me in, in that space. Like I was just known, like he even had me serve at the altar after, you know, me having kids. And I used to bring my kids by myself to church and it was tough. It was really hard, very difficult. Um, well, I'm sure. But, but that was like, I mean, so I just had to get over it. Like really it was like, I had to see like, this is, I'm not, I'm not here for anything. And what, obviously once you start going to Paris for a while, people know you and a, a lot of it's more mental than it is like people actually judging you. Like, you know, it's yeah. a lot of it's your own, like how you feel about yourself. So yeah. again, it's like a humbling thing. Like, so yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it was, is my own psychological recognition of like, wow, like I, this is a, a visible sign of the fact that I did not live right. The, the holiness that God called me to live, not because my kids aren't holy, but because my own actions, right, are demonstrative of, of unholiness. And that's something that I felt like that just I wanted better for my kids. I wanted better in terms of like, you know, just being an image uh, for folks, especially when I was some, in my family, when I was coming back to Christ. Right. It's like people had seen me in like the ultimate wildness. And then now I'm like a Christian. People are like, looking at me like, first of all, people are just shocked. I mean, like, again, like people around me just absolutely shocked. Um, 
So like that also is there. It's like a humbling thing, right? Oh, you think you're yeah. so great. You came back to, to faith, right? But look at you, like, look at, look at your situation. And so that was always that humbling piece. And I think that's critical. And I, I love St. Paul talking about how he had like a thorn and like, he felt like he had this thorn in the flesh type of thing. I think it's so critical, like for us all to have recognize that we all have that somewhere. But yeah. I love it. Yeah, I think we could do a whole podcast on judging people, but I don't want to talk about that too much. But thank you for answering that real quick. Because uh, I have 18 more things I want to talk about on that topic. But let's talk about this this social action. That You know, my 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 homeboy was a young protester out in the streets back in the day, you know, mm-hmm. out there getting after it, volunteering at the clinic. Like, so, so talk to me about, I know you're a big, I mean, tell us a little bit about, I don't think you mentioned anything in your intro. I'll read this in, in the intro at the beginning, but still just kind of hit again. Like, I can't remember if you're finishing your master's degree. Did you just finish your master's degree? Yeah. So I finished in December, God willing. Yeah. So tell, talk about your, your education in, in these areas. Yeah. So um, I'm an undergrad in social work and I have my, I'm doing my master's in social work. I focus, um, my focus is actually clinical mental health treatment, but I do a lot of work in policy. I'm also a fellow at the Gephardt Institute for Civic and Community Engagement. Uh, I worked in a think tank called the Center for Social Development, which is policy think tank space. Um, so like, I'm really into, again, the intersection of, of policy, civic engagement, community engagement. Um, and so, yeah, my education is in social work though. So even even how mental health and psychology interacts with with our, us as the human person, um, but also like just general well-being uh, of the human person. So yeah, that's my education background. Um, and it kind of connects to social action in many ways. Social work is a very like action oriented discipline, if you will. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's also a very interesting discipline because it has a, t- a history like, as a profession. Um, and, you know, one of the interesting things for me, I guess, uh, from the, the standpoint of social actions, I feel like, uh, you know, social work has, has policy, has program development, a policy analysis, and mental health treatment, child welfare, so many things. So I also kind of got a well-rounded professional uh, awareness of like all the different spheres of kind of what we call social action. That's why I like to use that term. Uh, yeah. broadly. I love it, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's really cool. And, and so I think you've had such an interesting journey. You know, we talked a lot about all of the, like a lot of social issues, what people would deem social justice issues last time you and I talked, we think we talked for like an hour and a half or two hours. Yeah, we talked for a minute, yeah. Okay, so, so that should have that been, been in the behind the scenes. We should have, oh, we, we should have recorded that. It was some <laughs> fire. That was crazy. But I know, so we talk about this stuff a lot on CKX, because I think you know that about me, that I like mm-hmm. to talk about the topics that are um, social justice related, you know, and try to give what I think is the faith perspective. Now, I'm definitely no PhD in theology, you know what I'm saying? But I try to give what I call, you know, the Christian conservative take on things. Now, I know for you, I feel like you, we have interesting, uh, I don't say disagreements, but differences in that, like, I don't always love, like, I, I almost, I almost never, I mean, I've never registered as a Republican. I've only ever registered as a Democrat. Um, about to register now and probably will register as a Republican. But I always consider myself conservative because I don't like Republican and Democrat as much, where mm. I feel like you don't like conservative and liberal as much. I don't know. Do you just not like any of the labels? Well, I we've definitely, talked about this before, and I think I've heard you talk about it before. Yeah, I read yeah, your blogs yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think. It, yeah, yeah. So I wrote in a piece for a, a, a right-leaning page. Uh, they're more like they call themselves liberty-minded, uh, and I talked about. I did. I don't define myself as a conservative. 
I've been a Republican, uh, registered Democrat and a registered Republican. Um, but I think that I kind of don't really fit. Uh, if I'm authentic to myself, I don't really fit any of these molds. Um, right. I've been involved in, in, in politics, partisan and uh, nonpartisan and policy issues. And I've never cut, you know, very clean in that way. So for me, I think that as Catholics, we have to challenge ourselves no matter where our priors may be. I don't define myself as a conservative or use the term conservative often. Um, it depends on the context. So for example, I like to put this to people. Most people don't know Pope Francis defines himself as a conservative. And I think in the, in the United States, people would be looking at your man. In the United States, people would be like, what? Yeah, but when he was asked about it, he said, I am a conservative. Um, and it's I, I think, and why I say that, and I often talk about that, his statement is because I think when you say conservative, you can mean something. And I think people use it to signal a certain ideology, like a current um, viewpoint in the United States. And uh, often I find myself connecting with some things that folks say that identifies certain and some things not. So I like to be very issue oriented and talk to people about particular issues to really get to the heart of what they mean by their political stance. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Which we got to do last time, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's so awesome. So tell me just a little bit about like, let's just, let's just start talking about like, what is kind of your general take on like how Catholics should approach the world? Like, what do you think people like Catholics often get wrong when it comes to social justice issues and Catholic social oh. teaching? Well, I think I'll say this about uh, Catholics in society. I think one of the things that Catholics get wrong is not knowing their tradition as it relates to social issues. We have a very rich tradition in the West um, and Catholicism is a part of that. I'm reading Evangelii Gaudium right now. And in that it talks about culture and faith and how it's important not to feel like, uh, even, even, in, in, even in the traditions that have, that have demonstrated a strong, like they have been a part of the synthesis of Christian thought up until this moment, the thing about the West, it's important to make sure that you're able to differentiate kind of like historical and social political realities and like the faith, right? And why is that important? So you can translate it into other contexts and cultures. Um, and I think that Catholics often don't know their tradition well enough to translate it uh, deeply. And so I think we get caught up in like ideology very easily because it's hard, really. It's hard to fight against it. Uh, so what do I mean? So I think particularly for us as Americans, um, we have access now, right? Looking back over the past 130, 140 years, we have access to a unique tradition in Catholic social doctrine, we, like a, a magisterium that kind of came into being in this time of industrialization, uh, fighting uh, the, this, these new tenets of Marxism. And, these, and at that time, again, a new hyper-capitalism. And Catholic social doctrine was literally responding to all those things. And so we have this tradition at the heart of basically our faith. And right now in the culture, I'm seeing and I see always like some very similar fights happen, but we're not always speaking from the heart of the tradition. Often we're speaking from some kind of a perspective and Catholics should be engaged in partisan politics. So I'm not saying Catholics should be like, oh, I can't be partisan. No, that's, that's not true. You have to engage in some way, right? In a concrete fashion, but you should engage as someone who's speaking differently than the folks that's there around you who are not Catholic. If you're just the same as anyone else in your political establishment, then you're probably not being authentic to your own tradition that you have inherited. And I think that's what Catholics don't, Catholics don't have, aren't tapped into that whole history, I feel like as much as they should. Yeah, absolutely. 
No, I think that's so real. And, uh, you know, I think I, I've had a lot of conversations with people who are conservatives or who are super Republican. This is why I like to, that's why I like to delineate between the two. Yeah, I always yeah. view, to me, like somebody who's, the, this is the way that I view it. I don't know that this is accurate, right? But I'm not saying this is universal truth, but I always use somebody who's Republican as that person who is like just GOP all day, right? Like they, their talking points are Fox News and everything that the GOP says. They have no problem with any of that stuff, right? They just go along with it. Everything sounds just like every other Republican. And then I think conservatives, at least I think I like to think that religious conservatives do have that more like spiritual side where they're willing to ruffle feathers on both sides, but are like more committed to obviously defending the constitution, conserving religious freedom, religious liberties, Judeo-Christian values and principles, you know? Um, and so that's how I've always kind of differentiated it in my head. But I think one thing I'd, I'd love to ask you about is I, I think I have like a number of things that I can think of sometimes that I still get frustrated. And I don't know if it's, sometimes I don't know if it's the old Democrat in me or if it's, if it's real, <laughs> but it's like, there's definitely moments where I just like get frustrated with people on the right. And I've talked about this a lot. So I'm curious for you, like, what do you think it is? Because I think before I asked that, my question is, what do you think it is that uh, conservatives, Republicans, Catholics get wrong when they're in the, like, why, what do you think they should be saying that should sound differently than every other Republican in the room? Yeah. But before yeah. that, I think, because the reason why I asked that is because when, when we talk about Democrats, at least to me, I think it's true for most like faithful Catholics it's obvious, like not everything, but like there's some obvious things in the Democratic Party that are like just very, very anti-Catholic, right? Like, I mean, just, we, we know that. We talk about those things. We talk about the pro-life movement. We talk about marriage, the sanctity yeah. of life and marriage are two of the most important things in the world um, and in our faith. But when it comes to conservatives, I think it's a lot easier as a Catholic who was raised Republican to not realize that Republican Party doesn't align 100% with the Catholic faith. So like, what are some of the things for you that really, I don't know if it's tick you off about the Republican Party or just like when you hear conservative Catholics saying or doing certain things, like what are those things for you? I, I'll say this. I don't like typecasting because I think there's a lot of times where people, um, and I have, like, I think it's really, oftentimes we like, I feel like a lot of people on the right get maligned in a lot of ways. Like they don't, their ideas don't get dialogued with a lot. So I don't want to like hammer in on certain things, but like so I'll say that some there's some things yeah, and just have the confidence that, like, I mean, I explain a lot of those things. You know what I mean? Yeah, so people okay. that are listening know, like, you know, yeah. like, this is I'll not say, a place I'll, where they're where they're typically maligned. Yeah, so. yeah. I'll <laughs> say this. Yeah, yeah. I'll say this. I'll say that I feel like I appreciate. You know, for, I look at I look at the individual Trump, and I also look at the movement that's that's really a big part of contemporary GOP politics right now. And I and I think it's really easy to say like. Cause I know a lot of people who are like, no, no, like it was about the policies with Trump. Okay. All right. I'll listen to somebody say that, but then I'm hearing people like literally like die for this man. Like they were, they would literally do anything for this man. And when I see the individual Donald Trump, I don't see, and I've talked, I've talked to so my fiance or my, my, my wife's Ooh. father is like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to block her on Instagram when I share this. <laughs> so she hasn't seen this episode. <laughs> it's rough, man. It's rough here. No, here she's the, pretty uh, good, I'm sure. Here, <laughs> um, so your father-in-law. Yeah, I, I talk to him all the time about this because to me, Donald Trump represents the end. He's not, there's nothing to me that, that, that says, that speaks to the ethics and the morals 
that people who identify as conservative in the United States or even really traditional GOP politics was about at all, which is why. And, and I think the disingenuine, the disingenuousness of that, because if you go back and you see what people were saying about Trump before he was elected and how people are saying, like, don't vote for Trump, like Catholic vote, putting out this thing saying like, this is why you cannot vote for Trump. Like, and then going through this deep thing. And then like next time, like, Three years later, they have pictures of Trump, like, oh, I love you, Trump. Like, I'm just like, it's just like this disingenuous, straight up, like, and it's all because they're like, oh, we can't feed into the narrative of the left. Oh, we have to fight the left. Like, it's like, it's a complete, it's an abrogation of values. Yeah. And and, And then when people who did stand up for those values, they were like, oh, it's a rhino. It's a fake Republican. Donald Trump literally was not Republican his whole life he became republican to run for office and now he's the realest republic it's just like i'm in my mind and it saddens me because i think like things that you were mentioning before like talking about judeo-christian values talking about family all those things i think those things are starting to become less and less important over time because it's becoming about something else on the right now the reason why i wanted to preface that with what i said before is because a lot of people in the media are saying these types of things and i want to say that that's not the whole right there's like a lot of people doing interesting things, having interesting conversations, who I'll point to, and who one of the guys who's trying to do some interesting things in terms of policy, and I'm really into policy. And again, I'm somebody who dialogues with people on the, on the right and the left, and there's actually great ideas I find on the left as well. But I'll say one of the people who I look to at the on the right right now is Orrin Cass. Orrin Cass was the policy advisor for Mitt Romney, actually, and when he ran originally and against Obama. And then he like went his, he like did a whole different thing. Like he started this place, this uh, this uh, blog called American Compass, not not endorsing everything on American Compass, but I highly suggest people who are interested in right-leaning politics and like a new a new face of the GOP to like check out some of the, inter- if you're into policy, like he's real policy. Like it's not like you're, it's going to be like long articles and stuff like that. But like, I think he does it in a way that is edible. And I think like some of the things that he says, like especially particularly about challenging the uh, the less or the rights GOP uh, or not GOP the rights kind of like economic orthodoxies as it relates to like certain framing of the market and he is free market he is oriented towards free market economics but I think he also critiques and looks at how does how is the market affected family structure and how are we dealing with and how are we looking at that how are we facilitating home ownership and home ownership was like a big thing in terms of me for policy I actually worked on a big project around. Um, around home ownership and getting access to low, low income home ownership. And I think the GOP just does a horrible job of talking about how, how do we help people who are experiencing poverty on, or even lower middle class to move up, right? A lot of it's about like, let's, we're gonna cut taxes. And I know this is somewhat of a what, like simplification, but cutting taxes for the wealthy is like, that's how people see the GOP's economic message. They don't see it as something that's really empowering people who are low income. And I think that's where a lot of folks who are on the right are actually doing a great job. And I think that's why some people actually liked Trump because they thought he was speaking to working class voters. Like I hear that all the time. Now I'll question the genuineness of all of that, but I will say that a lot of people felt that at least. So, yeah. Yeah. We talk extensively. I think we both have a lot of frustrations when it comes to uh, just the marketing of, you know, the GUP and the conservative movement of, yeah, of just like missing <laughs> out on working class people on Hispanics on the black community um just like it's i mean it's just the the pr campaigns and just like the, the strategy there you know it's just horrific i think it's it's oftentimes I, i'm often interested in like the parallels between what i feel like is conservatism or the republican party in the u.s and like i feel like the catholic faith in some ways 
in that like neither of them really ever had to evangelize mm. you know like they never really had to win people over to their side and so they're both like really bad at it and both really need to do it now <laughs> you know mm. and neither of them are really good at like being like oh this is this is actually what we believe you know and like this is something that would benefit your life as well and like targeting the communities that um people are less that, that people kind of deem hopeless you know in the similar way that you know a lot of the people who might have judged you or me or had difficulties with us like they don't evangelize the people who really need it in the, in the same way like the gop who has all these great values and, and these great things that you know they defend in some ways and some things that they you know support or, or defend that aren't great but um that they're not there's these kind of like lost souls that they're just like well, we'll never get the black vote we'll never get the hispanic vote so we're just going to continue to tailor it to the same people and it's like dude, you're dying out. Like, when are you going to change your strategy and kind of relook at things, you know, um, and kind yeah. of reconsider? But I think that's another thing. I, I'm so glad you brought up the Trump thing, man, because it's something that, <laughs> bro, you, you want to talk about getting me worked up. Emily knows this, that talking about Trump, especially the Trump 2024 people, like, I couldn't be less for it. I Like, it's, it's really hard to imagine being less supportive of that because it is... I'm bro for me like one thing that drives me nuts <laughs> with that, bro. that get me <laughs> worked right. up <laughs> you can see it right dog when you see the people who like who just like have these consistent values right their whole life and then suddenly switch and change it up like a great example of this was was COVID-19 for me all these people who were super conservative super republican as soon as COVID broke out and like people like hysteria kind of started CNN junkies Right. And like everybody who they hate in politics that they never agree with, they never listen to. That's all they took in. That's all they thought about. They just took it in, just soaked it in all this stuff in the same way. I feel like it's what exactly what you said with Donald Trump. It's like we have all these things where you see people on the right who criticize the, the lack of values, the lack of integrity, the lack of all this stuff with people on the left. And then suddenly us as religious conservatives, Donald Trump, of all people, comes along and we're going to not not just endorse him, not just vote for him, not just like, you know, begrudgingly vote for him or support him because we want to, you know, defeat Joe Biden or, you know, whoever else, but, or Hillary Clinton, you know, but it's like people like becoming fanatic about it. And it's like, how, yeah. like, talk me through this, talk me through how you have a, like a Trump, a, a picture of Trump right next to mother Teresa. Like, do you not yeah. see it? I love how you just, what you just said though, because you are going back to what we said before, this is exactly like, was Mother Teresa a conservative? I mean, people would say that now because she was very pro-life. She discussed and talked about this. But look at the character of Mother Teresa and the character of Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump pro-life in, in his speech? Yes. But I think, again, you see a very strong distinction. Now, honestly, everyone has to, is going to be a saint in life like Mother Teresa. Obviously, there's gradations of holiness. But, again, you just – I, I want to I take those pictures and juxtapose them for a moment. And you can see now. Why Catholics are going to have trouble uh, being in the spectrum. And so I think, like, I really wish that uh, I know I have a lot of people who I know, even Catholics who are very outspoken political conservatives. And that's kind of like their main thing, like versus being like, you know, even faith oriented, like that's their main thing. And there's many also Catholics who have been in office and uh, people. Have been, and I just wish that we were able to more challenge the narrative and be something different. Cause I think it, it would help to guide people in these times and lead people in these times. Right. Um, and, and I think that's why, again, Catholic social doctrine is so critical because it's not a political ideology. It's, it's not a philosophy, even it's moral theology. And I like Benedict the 16th discussion of theology 
uh, as a way of a purification of reason. And this is like, to me, what this does for us, meditating on social Catholic social doctrine, which is why I worked on campaign, even post-conversion and even after like, you know, my own public, I've worked on campaigns with people who are progressive. I've worked on campaigns with people and like pro-life campaign with people who are identified as conservative. I've worked on so social and economic issues, again, that people look at as progressive. Because to me, I look at what is the church saying? I really go hard trying to understand it and trying to make sure that it's not what I think. Um, and when, one example, a tangible example that happened in my archdiocese while I was working for Catholic Charities in their policy office. Um, I was working there and basically something came up called Medicaid expansion. And Medicaid expansion is basically Obamacare passed in, in the past, obviously. And Obamacare, basically, one of the parts of it was expanding Medicaid in the states. Basically, the federal government subsidized the cost. I'm not going to get into policy, but it, it basically paid for part of the, the cost of making Medicaid bigger in states. So all the bishops of the state of Missouri came out and supported this. And then you had the pro, one of the, the major pro-life organizations in the state come out against it. Um, I'm not going to talk about what happened internally, but we had a lot of conflict about do we support Medicaid expansion, even though all the bishops of that state supported it. And the GOP came out against it saying, we're not going to support Medicaid. Then the, then the Democrats were supporting it. So people were like, oh, it's a Democrat versus Republican. And the bishops were like, this is because of our faith, right? We're saying this because we believe that people who are at this level of poverty deserve access. Um, if we had a really very poorly designed Medicaid system in the state of Missouri, very low access in my estimation, and also in the estimation of the bishops of the church. So like, Again, this is where we have to be able to step outside of partisan interest. And I think a lot of people weren't able to do that. And again, it was like pro-life people versus the church. And it was like, it's one of these things where these types of things happen in, in many different ways. But again, it, we have to, we're called to conversion as late as people who are in the lady who are not ordained priests and bishops, because we're called to enact policy in accordance with the church's teachings and be bold witnesses, even when it means standing up uh, to our own side or ideological village, if you will. Right. Yeah. No, dude, it's so easy, I think, to get kind of, I don't know if cold hearted is the right word, but I guess like we just get so entrenched into like the, the political side of things. Yeah. You know, that it's the same thing that we, it, it's so crazy, man. It's the same thing that we get mad at atheists for, or that conservatives get mad at leftists for. It's like, you just, you won't listen to the other side. You're not willing to hear somebody else's yeah. experience or, or, you know, uh, or, whatever their knowledge is or what their reasoning is for like just listen for a second you know what i mean like sometimes it's just all you need to do is just listen to other people and it's the same thing i told i wrote about when uh you know writing black and white like me back last summer after george floyd died and i just talked about like the need to like we should already be like as catholics ready to have difficult conversations yeah exactly. like, we should be the ones who are able to like calmly and lovingly share the truth with people that we disagree with and to like listen to people who don't believe the same things that we do because we're out with people who don't believe the same things we do every day. Yeah, exactly. you know what I mean. But I love it's just, that you said that, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite comparisons, going back to kind of what I was saying before, but also ties in with what you just said, is I would always compare. Uh, and this this kind of gets me back. This is where I feel like the old liberal me sometimes feels like it's coming out uh, because I do get mad at like what's what can seem like on the surface at least some racism, like some underlying racism that exists, you know what I mean, with some conservatives. And it's, I, I would always compare like Colin Kaepernick and Donald Trump. You know, I'm like, look at Colin Kaepernick or look at LeBron. Like, I mean, LeBron drives me crazy now. Like, I mean, I used to be a huge LeBron fanatic. After the whole thing with China and the Houston Rockets coach, like I kind of dropped him. That was, that was kind of what he, <laughs> that's where he got me when he was talking about 
BLM, but he's like all for like the concentration champs in China because he makes money off. You know what I mean? Like I was like, ah, nah, dog, you, you missed me there. But um, but look at somebody like him, right? Who like, at least on the surface, shares a lot of like, you would say Christian values, right? Like he's, he's been married to one woman. He's got a family. He generally tries to be a good role model. He donates a lot of his money to charity and to help the youth and, and the poor. And it's like, how many conservatives hate him because of his political stances or whatever? But it's like, then you look on the other side, right? And you have somebody like Donald Trump or even Colin Kaepernick. It goes back to what you were saying before of if we just kind of sometimes see the experience of other people or we'll stop and take a second to listen and not just say, oh, they're Democrats, so they're dumb and they're wrong. It's like, even if I, I don't, I wouldn't take a knee at the national anthem. That's not what I would do. That's not how I would protest it. But I could still at least as an empathetic Catholic person, you know what I mean, could say, he, this is what he believes. Even if I think he's wrong, that police are systemically racist in America, which I do, if he believes that and him being a black man in America, that's probably really hard. For, like, this is what he's doing to bring attention to that issue. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't have to hate him for it. I don't have to hope, you know, all these bad things. And we immediately do that. But then you have somebody like Trump who does the same stuff, right? Like almost the opposite of LeBron, right? Where he has all the same policy, you know, quote unquote, all the same policy agreements as you. But his background, his life, all this stuff is by no means, you know, uh, representative of, of the Catholic Church or Christian values, Judeo-Christian values. And somehow we love him and we adore him. It's like, how do you, it, you know how hard that is as a, as a black conservative to look at that and be like, Colin Kaepernick takes a knee to a football game and he's, he's canceled, he's done to you guys. You know, you're not watching the NFL anymore, but then Trump can hook up with porn stars, say all these nasty things, be this controversial character. And then he comes out, you know, wearing a pro-life t-shirt and somehow he's now, you know, the second coming of, come on, man. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And it's like, how do you look at that as somebody that, and this is what we're talking about. I think what, what I was at least talking about earlier of like the, the marketing to the black community, to the Hispanic community, like this is what people see. And it's like, how do you, you have the same guys who are talking all this shit about cap or, or immediately dropping LeBron. And I get frustrated with those guys too, but then they immediately go and want to support Trump or these other people that it's like, how do you, how do you reconcile that? You know, how do you make yeah. sense of that? I think that's, I mean, so many really great points in there. So many interesting things, but I think one of the, it, well, first of all, I want to delineate, you know, as it relates to like the Hispanic community and the African-American community, because they're very different, um, like in terms of just the experience, both politically and religiously in the United States. Yeah. <clears throat> but I feel like in, in general, you have many, especially mainline conservative people, typically European-American folks. Um, and I think there's just a certain cultural baggage, again, that comes with because and, and this gets to the, the heart of like the difference between like values and like, I think your expression of values. And I think in that same piece I referenced earlier, I was talking about how like in, in Americans, we should all be able to agree on some fundamental values, even if we all have different cultures. So I was making a pitch for a multicultural understanding of the United States. Some folks who I talked to on a very horrifying app name called Clubhouse, we were talking about multicultural <laughs> at one point. And people push back like, no, I don't believe in multiculturalism. We have one culture, this is the American culture. We don't have multiple multiple cultures here. They got to be American. I'm like, first of all, that's an ahistorical vision that you have of the United States. The United States was not some monocultural entity like of Americans who all were the same. Like it's not, it's never been that. So that, that's a construction. And, and it's like, rather than focus on particular cultural expressions, why don't we focus on values? And why don't we focus on your people share value. Maybe they express it differently. And this is where there's been a, bit, a huge disconnect. A lot of people run so many polls and they're like, 
Why are there not more African-American conservatives when African-Americans are actually more conservative on issues than non-African-Americans? So why are they not why are they politically <laughs> completely unaligned? Because people don't understand that they're the way that they're speaking is not about values, but they're speaking about culture, which is why Donald Trump, who didn't have the values but had the culture, is so popular because yeah. it reveals underlying that the underlying thing is not the values for some people. Now it's not for all people, because for many people, I think they, they the values are still there strongly. But I think that made a lot of people feel a lot of different ways. Um, and I don't know. To me personally, it was it's a big struggle. Um, and I think what helps me is that I, I work on the ground with people from all political backgrounds and I work in charitable services. So I'm always like encountering people. And so I don't really have to get caught up so much in, in some of those things. And I've intentionally, like I intentionally avoid some of those type of conversations because it frustrates me. National level politics right now is so to me like unsubstantive. And I think there's hope soon. Um, but I just feel like right now we're just in a period of like, we as Catholics really need to recognize that we need to be the light of the world. And the truth is Jesus Christ. And like, and so what is, what has the church given us the body of Jesus Christ? We need to go deep on Catholic social doctrine right now. This is our chance to like really get, go deep because what we have to offer the world is something that nothing else, no one else has our substantive body. Like, even if you look at the West, right? So many people on the right, I think talk a lot about the West and defending the West, you know, the heart, the backbone of the West is the Catholic church (laughs) and all the best things about the West are Catholicism. Um, everything else is good and all right, but like definitely the best things are located within the church. And I think too, like look at Thomas Aquinas's teachings, even on economics, which I think are the most controversial for conservative Catholics in the United States. Like he frames our understanding of economics in the, all the way back from Genesis. We have to understand who we are in our creation to understand how we should act politically. And so as Catholics, if we have this unique way of seeing ourselves in the world, we should have a unique way of doing politics. And I think we have to be have that grounded in the gospel and express it politically in our own particular policy ways, but be grounded in, in the faith. Absolutely, man. I think, you know, it's it's something that we, I think, talk about, we don't talk about enough is being Catholic first on both sides, you know, of yes. just like, like that should be the lens to which we see the world, right? Like, and I think you talking about Aquinas and going back to creation, like that's something that I think all of us need to pray with this week, you know, just like sitting down and being like, Lord, am I really looking at the issues of my life, the issues of the world, the issues of my community through the lens? Like, am I seeing them how you see them? You know, am I looking through through the lens of my faith? You know, I, I think about that every time Emily and I get in an argument, I'm just always like, at what point did I like, diverge from the path of like seeing the world through God's eyes you know like it's obviously that happens right like I mean that's literally I remember Father Brian Nolan was our chaplain at Mount St. Mary's and he used to have this great prayer he would meditate after communion and it was just like simple stuff like Lord let me see with your eyes hear with your ears you know lift up with your hands walk with your feet and love with your heart um and and speak with your words is another one in there but it's just like man like that like you almost sometimes I would pray that dude like in like a holy hour and it's like you literally don't even need to pray with anything else like that's literally like what you're called to do right like to be a little Christ to be a saint on earth like that's literally it it's just like how bad am I at all of those things you know and when I when I sit there and I argue with her or I you know just have any type of moment where you fail right whether it's in, in lust or pride or anger whatever it's like you had some point where you failed at doing one of those things you know you stop seeing like the Lord you stop hearing with his ears and you stop doing all that stuff. And I think it's so important for us to really sit back, especially bro. I mean, I think 
you and I are kind of blessed, I think, in our experience to have been on both sides and, and to jump back and forth sometimes between one side and the other um, and argue with everybody, right? Like we're yeah. kind of blessed <laughs> in that and that we are able sometimes to like really see things and try to, as you said, I think you're better at it than I am, but zealously looking out uh, to searching out of like, what does our faith say about this? You know, yeah. versus I think a lot of people who are raised in something, raised super Republican or raised super Democrat and never venture outside of that at all. They only see things through that party. And then they try to interpret that through their faith instead of seeing things through faith and then trying to figure out where that aligns and what policy will actually help to enact that. Yeah. It's, you know what, I think too, it's because, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a family of, did not just speak about being progressive, lived it at <laughs> right, every yeah. level. I'm t- again, I have so much respect for many of the people who do that type of, who do the work where they, they like the work that's redeemable, um, who are doing that out of a good intention and actually putting it into practice, not just like, it's not just virtue signaling, but are actually like, this is deeply held. And that's how many of my family members actually uh, felt. Um, and then I, like, when I was with the, with the Egyptian Orthodox, or the Coptic Orthodox, because, like, they were an immigrant community from Egypt, like, their politics were, like, radically different, and so, like, it was just a very weird thing, and I became, like, super, like, oh, we can't even engage with the world, right, like, almost, like, Benedict option times twenty hundred like, thousand million, wow, like, really? I was, I mean, again, like, hanging, with, chilling with monks, just, like, we, we just can, we, we don't need to even engage in political work, and I had just been, again, on the ground activist, and we didn't even talk anything about that, but I was, on the ground, like <laughs> Next during the, during the time of Ferguson, 2014, 2015 in St. Louis, and um and like, I hey, went from that to like a different whole different thing. So like I I, I think yeah. I went from like one extreme to the next, and so I find like that in the church I was able to get the sense of like where we actually are. Like, and I invite Catholics if they're like, okay, where where do I start? If you're talking about like, oh, I read Catholic social doctrine, it's this huge body of work. Um. You know, again, I think that Pope Francis, I really love his encyclical on social friendship for Tele Tutti, but I don't think that's where you should start. And the reason being is like, it's very action oriented, but it gives you, I, I like using like that overall like body, that idea of social friendship, right? That we should have this social charity with each other. It's actually a very ancient way of saying solidarity. Um, but I think like, if you really want to go deep, if you really want to hear the, the heart, the church's heart on social issues, Read the the uh, the document of Second Vatican Council, Gaudium et Spes, Joys and Hopes, um, and I love the opening where it just talks about how we're as people we're called to share in the joys and hopes, the sorrows and like the sufferings of, of people of our time, whatever time that may be, whatever space we are in, um, and I feel like that in that whole document, very long document but very powerful, and again it sets the foundation for like contemporary magisterium. Final document recommend. Benedict the Sixteenth said that Populorum Progressio by Saint Pope Paul the Sixth is like the touchstone of like the post-conciliar social doctrine, um, and so I would also recommend checking that document out um, because he compares it. He, he makes a very strong like recommend in his own personal, personal uh, social encyclical. But just get started, right? I know in reading encyclicals are hard; people hate it, but it's tough with this with this because well, again, we're dealing with like realities, like social realities that are like like. It's about it's about reading the document just to soak up the soak up like the lens, right? By which you'll view change, ever changing social political realities. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, and then I think another follow up question with that is if somebody was you know looking to take action, and and I think you know I'm a good example of this to a certain extent, and in some ways I guess you could say I'm a bad example of this, but you know I think part of my I don't know if it's a problem, but part of my uh, 
I think of, I don't want to say obsession either, but at times obsession with like national politics has been that I've moved like seven times in the last oh, six yeah. years. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I've never gotten engaged because I lived, you know, with the college in Maryland where I was actually very engaged in volunteering and doing big brothers, yeah, big yeah. sisters and volunteering at the Powell Center. You know what I mean? And doing a lot awesome. of stuff. And then I went down to Georgia and there was no time during training and stuff like that. Like I volunteered in church, but I didn't do like social stuff. Uh, yeah. Lived there for a year, lived in North Carolina for a year, then deployed, then lived there for a year and then moved to Cincinnati for a year, then moved to Kansas for eight months and now live in Denver. And so it's like, you know, I don't, I couldn't tell you any of my congressmen, like I never got in any of it because I was always touch and go, you know what I mean? Everywhere. It's yeah. so like, what I know you're obviously super passionate about like local community and, and doing things like that. Like, what would you recommend uh, for somebody just to get started? Where do you, where do you recommend beginning in that realm of, of learning about that and kind of moving it's forward? Great. Well, I think people are called to different things. So I'll, I'll lay out a few things sure. for people at different levels. I'll say if you're Catholic, you're well-formed and you feel called, get involved with the local political party. You know, I'm not going to say, I'm not, I'm not going to say you have to choose. Like I'm, I'm not the one to tell you what your political stance should be. So discern for you where you're called to go and and look out for ways to collect collectively uh meet with people of your political partisan leading and just find out what's happening locally um i would say definitely learn your representatives no matter what level of engagement you're called to engage in you're, that means your state and your federal um and also right. your local um and it's very easy there's a lot of different websites but if you just google it you can find it um so i would say to do that and um I would say also read a local newspaper. I know that people hate doing that. And even I am really bad with this. Um, but reading the local newspaper helps purify your mind from like national level news. Now, at the same time, it's a lot of it is national news, especially if you have a big paper in your city. Um, but I think right. it also helps to see some of the local stuff. So I think that's a good way to start. And then I would say you as a Catholic, if you are a Catholic listener to this, you should be doing charity work. There's no way around mm -hmm. it. You should be individually engaged in your community. And I work in charity so i also need to be doing things outside of my job uh <laughs> that i'm not getting paid to do and right. i need to be going hard on that and that needs to be serious for me i also need to be looking at how i'm spending my own money am i giving am i giving my money not just tithing but am i giving to people i don't know um it's actually beautiful this is actually from the jewish tradition but i think his name is maimonides my i always pronounce his name wrong but he was a jewish philosopher and i think he wrote out like a like the 10 levels of charity and I would also mm -hmm. say, go check out Maimonides. Oh, my goodness. Even if you go on his Wikipedia page, uh, you can find that the 10, like, I think it's 10 or 12 levels of charity. This is not Catholic, obviously. It's from the Jewish tradition. And it's, like, from, like, the 1200s, but around the time of Aquinas. But, like, I think it's really powerful because it, I think it is really instructive and really breaks down, like, the levels of charity. You should be at least a couple of notches on there, and you should be always trying to, like, go higher in terms yeah. of how you're doing so I, I would just invite you to figure out what's happening in your city, figure out ways that you can give, especially with the church, whether it be with the St. Vincent de Paul Society, whether it be with your local Catholic charities, which I highly endorse. Uh, Catholic charities help them out because there's people doing great work and we are a part of the church. Catholic charities is an integral part of the church in whatever diocese it's in. So find out ways to serve, especially with other people of faith. That's awesome. And I love what you said about we all play different you know, I, I often say we all play different positions, right, on the same team. And in me, as I think of what a lot of what I try to do is evangelization, I often say, you know, everybody's called to do that, right? And, I, and you still, I love Father Mike Schmidt's 
one of my favorite, I'm pretty sure it's my favorite Father Mike Schmidt's talk of all time. I'll link it to this because I can't remember the exact name of it right now, but he was speaking at St. Charles Seminary in Philadelphia. I don't know if you've ever seen that talk, but bro, no, it I, is, it's I love so, Father Mike though. Shout out Father Mike. Yeah, man, it's so <laughs> fire. He did it as like a bone. It's on the Ascension, uh, on his Ascension podcast. They posted on there and it's on the Ascension YouTube like page and stuff. But dude, he gives this talk to like the seminarians and priests and like all these people who are there. Um, and it's just so, so far. I've literally watched it like six times. I'm legit about to go watch it now, I think. Just because I get <laughs> hyped <up. laughs> Dang, it's a heavy endorsement. I got to watch it now. Bro, it's so far. But one of the questions that they ask him in the Q&A, the Q&A is not on the podcast, it's only on YouTube. But somebody asks him, you know, like becoming a, pub, uh, a public speaker, a Catholic speaker or whatever. And he's just like, if you're not evangelizing the people that are around you, Exactly. Like don't ever try to do it you know what i mean at a distance and that's something that i always have to remember and i think that exactly what you just said of you you know despite all the work that you do professionally like you still have to volunteer right like we still all we all have to do this and i think that we it's, it's one thing that i want for seeking excellence to be in the world is like what does it mean to be an awesome catholic like i feel like we're so afraid of saying what that is and we've been like so affected by protestantism that we're like so afraid to talk about works at all that we just like yeah. don't give any type of standard because we don't want to make it seem like it's a meritocracy. But at the same time, if you have no standard, all you have is mediocrity, right? Yeah. Like it's a natural state of man. It's just to fall backwards, right? And be trash. So it's like, we be have trash. to have some goal. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you have to have some goal. It's just, I, I just, it's so military too. Like to say, all right, for the, to be in the U S army, you have the U S army physical fitness test. But to be in Rangers, you have to take the Ranger physical fitness test, right? And like both of those have their standards and the Rangers is higher, but like you have this idea of to be in the army, this is what you have to be. And then it's like, all right, to be awesome in the army, right? To be special forces or to be a Ranger, to be special operations, this is the level that you have to get to. And this sure. is what you have to maintain yourself at. And I think signs like uh, why I love the book Four Signs of a Dynamic Catholic by Matthew Kelly is because I feel like it was the first time that I had discovered something that was like, you want to be an awesome Catholic? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, here's some guidance. Mm. If you're not, you know, praying, studying, evangelizing and being generous, you're not really doing it. And it's like, we need to say that more often, you know, like we don't enough yeah. talk about like, you have to volunteer. Like that's part of his generosity is not just money, but also volunteering. And it's like, yeah. I, want, I want that, you know, like, I feel like sometimes even like moving here, you know, of just like, I just have this like yearning to like get involved in my parish and like get, yeah, I want to be a volunteer. I want to be known there. I want to like enter into that community, you know, and like yeah. figure out which parish we're going to join. Like I have this, like uh, Emily, I've talked about it multiple times. I'm like, I have this like uneasiness. She's never like, she moved once to, you know, she lived in Cleveland, but other than that, she lived in her college town. She lived in her hometown after she's graduated from college. But every time I've moved somewhere, I'm like, I have, like, I have this like uneasiness, you know, like, I'm like, there's so much uncertainty and i'm like until i have my home then i gotta get my parish and i gotta get my gym once i have those bro you know <laughs> like once i get the places like those are the homes right it's like where all the growth happens and so i'm like once i have all of that you can start to feel a lot more settled but it's like you have to do these things and i love that you just so passionately shared that so thank you it was, it was convicting and challenging for me as well as i make this transition into a new place so no um, but i think i think too just to just to wrap that up but i think yeah uh, Mother Teresa, of course, also talks about, you know, when somebody, I believe, asked her what you can do to change the world, she said, you can go back and love your family. Yes. And I want to not, I want to hold that up because I think a lot of people would feel like, again, like, it's about what you go and do externally. And I think about all the, the stay-at-home parents who 
like exercise immense charity. And I think about a story from my time with the uh, Egyptians. There was a story of St. Anthony of the desert and he went out and he had a revelation from God saying like, you know, he was asking God like, you know, who's greater than me, basically like, you know, in a way. And he sent him out into like the edges of the river, this river, and he saw these two women who were like taking care of each other's children. And he was like, and that, and God was like, these two women are greater than you in holiness. Um, and St. Anthony is the father of monks. Uh, so one of the things that I love is like the idea that going out and being seen volunteering makes you like the one who's more charitable, not the case um, by any means. Right. You need to exercise, just like you were yeah, saying, no, ex exercising good. charity and forgiving, doing the works of mercy, the spiritual and corporal works of mercy, which are obligatory for all Catholics. You should be doing those things as a part of your individual character virtue formation within your family but also that doesn't take off right that you should be doing these things out but i want to make right. sure that people get it doing those things does not like somehow cleanse you right it's about also what you can do yeah, at home yeah, yeah absolutely and that that brings me that reminds me of uh one of my other favorite quotes it's like i don't even know if it's my favorite because it kind of like makes me nervous but from that same father mike uh q a session where he said, <laughs> he said, it wasn't even him. And I can't remember who he's quoting. Oh, man. I want to say it was like St. Pius X. Or so. It was like some OG. I can't remember who it was. But somebody <laughs> asked him, like, uh, like how, how much do you need to pray? Or like, do you need to pray? Or maybe it was Fulton Sheen, honestly. But somebody was like, how often do you need to pray if like you're a father, right? Like you're not a priest, but like you're like a father, you have a family or whatever. And the, the person, whoever it was, the person who responded back that said, you don't have to pray for an hour a day if you're a father and a husband, as long as you're okay with being a mediocre one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know facts. yeah. Facts. That one, like, ultra facts. Uh, yeah, dude. It's just like those types of things, you know, to, to like challenge that. And like, I say that as somebody who very, very rarely prays for an hour in a day, right? Like, I mean, I'm talking very, very, very rarely. I'm talking like every couple months right now, especially these last couple months of transition. But I think it's like just having that, just to have somebody tell you that and like, you as a man, me as a man, like, like I rise up to that, right? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not inspired by, and there's guys out there who are like this and I'll try not to just like bash on dudes who I think are beta or weak, but I, I just think that, you know, there's guys out there who like appreciate the, you know, constantly just start where you are, just start with a minute a day or whatever. And it's like, that's cool to me. Like, that's, that's what I want to hear after. If I'm not praying at all, like, I still want to hear what's greatness look like. And then when I say, well, how do I get there? then tell me to pray for 10 minutes tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Don't start off with, you know what I mean? With like what you know is medi mediocrity. Don't start me off there and just tell me to stay there. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, that's not what that I want. Sense. That's not what I need. But it's like, that's, that's why I love talking about these things, man. And challenging each other to be like, dude, love your family. You know what I mean? Like love your yeah. wife. I need to love my fiance. I need to prepare for marriage and be a holy man come March 19th, you know? And you need to be a great father tomorrow and be forgiving and be more patient with your kids and, and with your wife. And we both need to volunteer more, you know, and be more engaged yeah. in our parish and be more bold in sharing our faith and pray more tomorrow than we did today. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. just, it's awesome. It's awesome. There's so much, so much work to be done internally and externally, but it starts within us for sure. That's awesome, man. Yes, man. Oh, I'm so grateful for you, bro. It was great having you on. I know we'll do stuff, more stuff together in the future for sure. I'm super, I'm super thankful for our friendship, man, and just for your time tonight. So thanks for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. No, I appreciate it, man. This has been a great blessing. And again, I love talking to you. I feel like we just get a lot of good conversation. And, and, and so I appreciate this. And it really has stimulated so much thought for me and prayer and, and 
room to grow and room to pray in. So thank you so much. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Which just reminded me, the one thing that I actually wrote down on my notes as I would take a notes today is the other baller thing that we have in common, if I'm not mistaken, is that we have the same celebrant for our weddings. Oh, is it? Who is it? Father Meyer? Yes, indeed. He had to celebrate our wedding. Yeah, so Father, Father Meyer Jonathan Meyer has been on our podcast like six times. He's he's on our board of directors for CEX. So he's that's so wild. I can't believe <laughs> how wild it is. Because again, like my wife goes so for other who Father Jonathan Meyer, I've gone to his parish so many times because my wife's family goes there. Um so that's like awesome. I, you know, obviously he also was my he led me through marriage prep. Um so Father Meyer has been a deep part of our experience. He was he gave an intense homily. Oh, I yeah. mean, so you expect like at the wedding to get like pretty like you know mild homily you're kind of nervous you're like at the wedding so it was like the most intense like homily ever we were like whoa he like, doesn't intense. have a mild setting yeah it was like <laughs> i will say like you know father my he's a he's a great person uh check him out um he, he's done a lot of amazing things and right now he's going through a big transition at his parish community so yeah pray for him also so priest and solid oh man yeah he's getting after it. he's not gonna be on the podcast anytime soon that's for damn sure <laughs> yeah right yeah he's busy he's busy with people now yeah. <laughs> he's crushing it man but that's awesome yeah i just want to share that because i think it's such a cool connection but great man i appreciate it for everybody listening i hope that uh lewis's words here today were a blessing in your life as they were a blessing in mine and just an encouragement to stay in the fight fight hard and, and just strive to be your best every day so lewis god bless you man 